hey, uh, this is a ladder, right? I think you're all probably familiar with this in some way, shape, or form. Maybe good, maybe some of you bad, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but ladders are something we use at home, right? They're projects that we have. Uh, wow, I can see everybody now. This kind of scares me. Uh, I see faces and you're sleeping and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm kidding. Um, but for ladders, uh, most of us use those to like paint stuff in our house, uh, to, to maybe fix a light. We, we use it to clean out the gutter. Uh, some of you, maybe there's a Frisbee on the roof and you got to go get it. And so you got to use a ladder. But many different reasons that we have ladders and many different reasons that we use ladders within our homes. But it's also a symbol. It's a symbol of our success, Right? What do we talk about? We talk about climbing the corporate ladder. And so we start down at the bottom and we climb that corporate ladder, hoping to get to this one place in our life, this, this one promotion, this, this one job, this one title that we really, really want. We work hard to get there. So we, we look at this ladder as a symbol of our success. Well, how do we kind of define our success? Well, it just depends on what we've done in our life, right? It's our education. It's our qualifications, our credentials. It's the places that we've worked. uh, It's the people we've worked with. It's the titles that we've had. And so that means we build a resume, right? And from the very beginning, you know, we go to college, we start building this resume, and we want to keep adding to this resume. And so we keep doing more work. We keep jumping to new jobs. We keep grabbing more titles. And we keep building this resume because this resume is important to us. Because our resume for us equals success. And the more success we have, the more we climb up this corporate ladder. But what do you put on a resume? You put things on there that you hope, as that HR person looks at your resume for all of seven seconds, will see one thing on there that they'll see and be like, oh, maybe we need to bring this person in. Maybe this is the person that we need to take this next step, to take this next position here in our company. And so you put this resume in hopes that the information you've put on there is important, is good. And in the end, the company looks at that and says, hey, you are going to help us be even more successful. But there's another resume I think I want us to think about this morning, and that is our life resume. Like, what does your life resume look like? And if God was in the midst of this, it wasn't someone in HR looking at your resume for seven seconds, but it's God looking at your life for the course of your life. What would God say needs to be on that resume? What would God say is most important to God? What would God say is true success for you and me? This morning, we continue this series called Finding, and over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about finding life, finding purpose, and today we are going to talk about finding success. And we're going to talk about what true success looks like. And we're going to do this by going back to the letter to the Philippians that Paul writes. We're going to spend all of our time this morning in chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be up here on the screens. Here's what it says. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 1, says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Past couple of weeks, we've been talking about how here's Paul. He's under house arrest in Rome, which means he's literally chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. And what does he keep doing? He keeps encouraging the people, right? He keeps using words like joy and rejoice. And you're thinking, how can you have that kind of feeling and emotion when you're stuck in the position you're stuck in? 
because this is important to Paul. He says, rejoice in this. But then he says, I keep telling you these things to help your faith grow. This is a good indication to us that Paul has written other letters to this church in Philippi. Uh, we have, I think, about 13 letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote. Um, Paul wrote many, many more letters, and we don't have those. They, they weren't retained for, for us to have at this point in time. And so the, this just gives us an idea that Paul wrote many more of these letters. And in these letters, he said basically what he's getting ready to say again. Look how he begins here. He gives a warning. He says, watch out for... If you're familiar with some of the zombie TV shows that are out right now, those phrases or that phrase is used quite often, right? Like watch out for the walkers, watch out for the infected. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's like, hey, watch out for this particular group of people because they're trouble. And then he gives them names, he gives them a title, right? He says, he calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers or people that do evil. And he calls them mutilators, which pretty much sounds like zombies, doesn't it? Now, what he's doing here is he's actually describing a specific group within uh, the churches at that time that really were wreaking havoc within these churches. Uh, they were complaining. And the things they were complaining about wasn't because the music was too loud or the coffee was too bitter or the pastor wore jeans up on the stage. It wasn't any of that. They felt like these people who are now following Jesus hadn't done enough. Like they weren't quite saved enough, that there were other steps that they needed to take. And so this group was jumping into these churches and teaching this teaching. Now, they were known as the Judaizers. If you go back and you read the book of Acts and the story of the early church, you're going to find they pop up quite a bit. They, they cause a lot of tension, a lot of havoc within the early church. But it's an interesting group because they actually were followers of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus, but they, they stuck, to, stuck to their Jewish faith, right? Their Jewish religion, their, their Jewish rituals and laws. And so they would show up in these churches, like this one in Philippi, that was full of these Gentile Christians. These are people that grew up basically with no religion. Uh, they, they were uh, polyreligious. They, they, they were pagans. They had all these different gods. And, and yet, because of people like Paul, and because of churches like this in Philippi, they had come to know who Jesus was and they were following Jesus. Well, these Judaizers were coming in and saying, hey, you're doing a pretty good job. You know, you're following Jesus just like you're supposed to. We're following Jesus. But there's one thing that's missing, one thing that's really and truly going to save you. And they're like, well, what is that? Like, here's the deal. You got to be circumcised. That will truly save you. Paul talks about joy and rejoicing a lot in these letters, especially this one to the Philippians. And I'm sure the dudes that are hearing this, like, yeah, that's going to bring me a lot of joy at my age to be circumcised, right? <laughs> so it's bringing this tension there in this particular church. So Paul warns this group of Philippians about this group of Judaizers who, who may come in. Now, up until this point, we don't think that they've come into this church, but their teachings are, are spreading and getting to other churches. And so people traveled a lot and they would come in like, hey, there's this group. They're saying, hey, we need to do this. And should we do this? And so there's, again, there's this tension here and Paul's trying to work through that. And so he calls this group dogs, evildoers, and mutilators. Okay. Which all three sound, or two of those sound terrible. One were like dogs. 
Like, I got a dog who lives in my house. I love my dog. A dog's not like a cat, right? <laughs> a cat waits till you go to sleep and it wants to suck the soul out of you because they want to rule the world. Don't we know that? A dog just wags its tail, licks your face. That's all they do all day long. So what's Paul talking about here? Why is he calling them dogs? Well, in those days, dogs were like DC rats, okay? They were scavengers. Uh, they would go around in packs. They would scavenge through all the, gar the garbage. They were trying to find food to eat. And if you walk past them, they didn't walk up to you like looking for you to pet their head. They would snip at you. They would snarl at you. When you called people dogs, and in the scripture, you're going to find there's a lot of words. Uh, dog is used quite a bit to describe people. They're like the lowest of the low, right? Like there's not much more low than that. And, and here's Paul who's calling these Judaizers. He's calling them dogs evil people because they're coming in trying to change this theology and he calls them mutilators and that's of course connected to the circumcision. Paul is trying to help this church in Philippi understand that what they are teaching is false. That that's not the step that they're supposed to take. That's not going to make them more Christian. That that's not going to pad their Christian resume if they are circumcised. And so he's, he's trying to give this lesson to them and gives them this warning. He's saying, hey, it is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. He continues on in verse 3. He says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God or the ones who are truly circumcised, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. A little bit of Greek trash talking is basically what, what Paul is, is doing here. But like I said, this Potentially this group hasn't shown up yet, but Paul's warning that this may happen in the near future. But the question is, why was circumcision such a big deal to them? Why was this the thing that they were going around and teaching these new Christians that this is something they needed to do? Well, it goes back to their Jewish past. Uh, it goes back to the time of Abraham. We did a series on uh, Abraham uh, earlier this year, or maybe it was last year. But we, we talked about this, this covenant that God makes with Abraham. And part of this covenant for Abraham to show God that he's all in is to be circumcised and for all the males to be circumcised. And so there's this covenant that is, is made. And for the Jewish people, they felt like this is what you do to be saved. If you want to be connected to God, if you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. And so they're teaching this, believing that this really is the final step in fully following Jesus. But you got this people in this church are like, well, we thought it was faith. Like, that's what we've been taught, right? That's what Paul, that's what you taught. That's what these other people have been teaching, that it's faith that saves us, that faith is the thing that's most important. It's not this, set, this, this action of, of circumcision, of doing this, that changes us. And so Paul is trying to walk them through this and saying, hey, what they're teaching you is not what is true. It's not about what you do. It's about what has been done. But part of the issue is these Jewish people are coming in, these Judaizers, and they are coming in and saying, hey, look at my spiritual resume. They're like, we're more spiritual than you are. Like, you come out of this pagan background. You come out of not believing in any gods and, or many, many gods, and, and we've got this one God. We, we know what we're talking about. 
We've got it all figured out. Look at all the things that we've done. And so there's this resume that they kind of throw out there. And if you're a Gentile Christian and you don't know any better, you're like, these people must be the experts. Look at them, look at the life they're living. Maybe, maybe what they're teaching us is right and true. And here's Paul who says, no, that is not the case. They're living under the old covenants. They're living on their idea of circumcision. But Jesus came for this new covenant. This is different. It's about baptism and taking that step and, and your heart being circumcised and not your body. Well, Paul gets to this place. He's like, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share with you my resume. I, I'm going to tell you who I am because I, if I let you know my background, then you'll better understand why I live the way I do. And so it begins in verse 5. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Jewish uh, tradition was, if you were male, you were circumcised at eight days old, right? So Paul's saying, hey, because of my Jewish background and history and rituals and actions, look, I, I am Jewish through and through. I, I was circumcised on the eighth day. The Ishmaelites, which come from Abraham also, uh, they were 13 years old when they were circumcised. Paul's like, I wasn't 13, I was eight days old. And he's like, and, and I wasn't an adult like some of these Gentile Christians are starting to do because they think that's what they're supposed to do. I, I was an adult when I was circumcised. I was eight days old, which makes me Jewish. And then he says this, he says, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. Any of you ever take a DNA test? Not because you're trying to figure out if you're the dad on Mari Povich show, but just for fun. Anybody? A few years ago, uh, my family bought that as part of my, uh, my uh, birthday present. And I know you might be like, that's kind of weird. But I really wanted to do it mostly because my grandmother, for every since I knew her, kept talking about how her grandmother was Cherokee. And so part of our joke together was like, hey, if that's true, then I'm like 128th Cherokee, right? And so... I'm ready to figure this out. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to see how much Cherokee is in me and maybe some other stuff. And so uh, take the test, send it off, comes back. The results come in. The email comes in and I open it up. Pretty excited about this. And I don't know how to best tell you this, but I am the whitest white dude there ever was. <laughs> That's what the results said. Like, you're the whitest white guy we've ever seen. I come from four countries, and they're all in Northern Europe. Every single DNA strand in my body is from that area. And I got to be honest with you, I was kind of crestfallen, a little depressed for a while, because I was really kind of expecting to have this really great diversity of DNA in me, and it wasn't there. Uh, why am I telling you that? Well, I'm telling you that because that's what Paul is saying. Paul's like, hey, if I, you did a DNA test on me, I am pure-blooded Hebrew. Like, like there's nothing else in, in, in me. I, I'm, I'm pure-blooded in my Hebrewness. And in fact, he, he talks here about being from the tribe of Benjamin, which is like the best tribe out of all of the 12 tribes and the most loyal tribe uh, to the Israelite nation. He's like, man, my, my DNA is pure. I am fully a Hebrew. Then he keeps going. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He basically says, I'm a spiritual athlete. 
that means Paul was, was educated in the best schools. He, he learned from the best teachers. He, he learned under the best rabbis, so much so that they appointed him to be a Pharisee. Now, in those days, there were no more than 6,000 Pharisees at any given time. So Paul is one of that group. This is his life. This is who he is. And you know what? By the way, he's very, very successful in that role. Now, what do Pharisees do? Their job was to know the law. In fact, they had memorized the whole Old Testament, but they knew the law. And so if, if you were disobeying the law, hey, they would call you out on it in a, in a moment's notice because this is what they were there to do. They were the, this you know, respected group of, of lawyers in that day. And Paul is in that group and Paul is moving up in that group too. So he's, he's on this special team. I mean, his resume, if you think about it, is looking pretty good. Then he says this, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without default. Paul's like, I was good at my job. Like, I, I, I knew the law as well. And in fact, I was so moral and so blameless. This thing called the church begins. And you know what I started doing? Because of, of what I believe God wanted me to do, I'm going out and persecuting these people. I, I'm pulling them out of their homes. I'm throwing them into prison. I'm torturing them. Some of them I'm killing. Why? Because of my resume. Because I was so moral and blameless. And this role that I had was so important. My beliefs were so strong. I felt like God had called me to do this. He's like, this is the kind of Jew I was. This is the kind of person I was. And yet here he is talking about this group of people called the Judaizers. He's saying, they're going to come in and they're going to say, look at my resume. Look at who we are. Look at how spiritual we are. But you go back and look at my resume and you can see the kind of person that I once was. And for me, I thought it was all about what I did. But would I now realize is that it's all about what Jesus has done for me. He keeps going here. Verse 7 says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. At one point, success was everything for Paul. Success was everything. But here he is in his life now, and he's saying, hey, that success actually doesn't mean anything. What means everything to me now is living this life for Jesus. Verse 8, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Now, Paul uses a word right here intentionally. He is trying to grab the attention of of the people who are here in this, this, this reading, right? So they would read these letters out loud within these churches. And so he uses a word here that we have translated in the version I'm reading as, as garbage. Yours may say rubbish or waste. And all three of those are sort of right, but not really. Translators were really trying to soften the blow here of what Paul is saying. Paul uses the Greek word skubalon. And uh, the best way to put it is if you were to put this on a T-shirt, it would say scuba line happens. Okay, you figure that one out. Um, I mean, the actual translation is excrement, dung, feces, poop. Okay, 
That's, that's what Paul is saying right here in this word. Now, why does he use skubalon in, in this particular passage? I mean, he could have chosen any other ones, right? I, I love the way this commentator put it as I was reading through some backstory on this. Um, he writes this. He says, by saying this, in his views, talking about Paul, these priceless things aren't worth crap, literally. That's what Paul is saying. Like this life that I've led, the things that I've done, the things that I thought I was supposed to do, they aren't worth anything. They are just like excrement. That's, that's what all of that is worth to me. What's important is knowing and living for Jesus. He's like, that's, that's what really matters. Verse 9. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Here's Paul who, who looks at his resume and says that everything that I, I did in my past, everything that, that I did to start down on that bottom rung and to move myself up this, this corporate ladder, that it means absolutely nothing. Again, what's important is living my life for, for Jesus. You know, Jesus gave his life for me and God raised Jesus from the, the dead for me. Why wouldn't I want to give my life then for Jesus? kind of takes us back to last week right we talked about the purpose living or finding our purpose and we said Paul says to live is Christ to die gain and Paul says that's what my life is all about like that's what true success is is to live your life for Christ knowing that in the future there's something even better and it's all because of what Jesus has done for us which brings me back to this ladder your personal ladder um, probably has success in it, right? We live in an area that many, many of you are very successful at what you do. It's why you live here. It's why you have the jobs you do, the titles that you carry. You've got the education, the credentials. Uh, you've got the background. You've worked at all the right companies. You, you've met the right people. And if we were to look at your personal resume, I mean, it would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? And for many of you, in fact, all of you, you started somewhere and you continued to climb up this corporate ladder to get to the place where you are today. But my question is, has it been worth it? Has it been worth it to you? When you look back at everything that you did to get to this place, has it been worth it? Like what have you had to let go of so that you could climb this ladder? What are the things in your life you've had to let go of? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's marriages. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your health. But you got to give up something, right, to, to climb the corporate ladder. Because you got to put all this time and effort into it. What did you give up? And in the end, was it worth it? Now, hear me. I don't believe working hard is bad, okay? I don't believe success is bad. I, I don't believe... Climbing the corporate ladder is a bad thing. What I'm saying is, is it the most important thing to you? Is it more important to you than following Jesus? There's that ladder, right? There's our personal ladder, but then there's our spiritual ladder. And sometimes we don't even think about our spiritual ladder, but, but all of us 
have some spiritual ladder that's in existence in, in our mind. And, and it just kind of depends on where you are in your life, where you see yourself on this, this particular spiritual ladder. Now, let's just say that this ladder represents a range of morality, okay? And uh, maybe it's, uh, it's, it's the goodness in people. So each one of these rungs that are here, we could probably put people in those rungs and, and kind of say, yeah, those people are pretty good. Those people, they're not so good. Okay, so for instance, let's kind of work through this a second. Uh, let, me, let me ask a few questions. Here's the first question. Like, who's the best person you know? Okay, I want you to think about that. Who's the best person you know? And I'm going to throw out a couple of, of names here. Let's, let's start with Jesus. We're in church. It's probably a good thing to do. Um, but... But let me also say this. I know that in our church we have agnostics and atheists and people that come from other religious backgrounds, um, which let me just stop and say thank you for being here. That's courageous for you to take that step and be here. We love you. We're glad you're here. Please ask questions. Uh, we want to be that kind of church for, for anybody. But, but if that's you, I think you can agree with us that are followers of Jesus that, hey, you know what? Jesus was a good dude and he was a good teacher and he had good morals. So even if you may not fully believe what we believe about Jesus, I think we can agree that Jesus probably up here on the top somewhere, right? And so we'll put Jesus up here on the top. Let me, let me throw somebody else out there. Uh, Mother Teresa, Catholic nun, did amazing, amazing work. Set up an organization so she could help families and kids with food and education and, and medication, anything you can think of. And, you know, I I probably would say most of us would say, yeah, Mother Teresa, she's, she's up there pretty, pretty high, right? And there may be someone else for you, but, but who are those people? Who would you look at someone or who are the people in your life? You say, those, those people are, they're, they're just, they're the best. They're the best people I know. But then there's the second question. Who's the worst person you know? Right? And for us, that may be Osama bin Laden. It may be Jeffrey Dahmer. It may be... Adolf Hitler, it may be your neighbor who never mows their yard, right? <laughs> and you maybe have a few other people you throw down at the bottom too. Then when you look at their lives, you're like, <laughs> they are no Mother Teresa, right? They, they, they are some of the worst of, of the worst. And, and so for you, they're kind of down at that bottom level. There's no morality there. They, they are some messy, messy, messy people. But then... There's a third question. As you look at this letter here and you think about the people that you would say are the best and the people that you say are the worst, where would you put yourself? Like as you look at that ladder right now, it's like, where would I put myself? Now I'm going to guess that most of us would say I'm probably in the middle. Like, like I, I'm, not, I'm not like them, thankfully. At least I mow my yard, right? I'm not too bad, but I'm not. I'm no Mother Teresa, and I, you know, I'm definitely, definitely not, not like Jesus. I, you know, I probably put myself right here in, in the middle. I think that's where we tend to go when we look at our own spiritual life. But, but there's a final question here. Let's just say that we have ourselves here somewhere, and Jesus is here. The question is, how are you going to fill in the gap from where you are to where Jesus is? Well, there's a couple options here, and Paul actually talks about these options and what we've just read here in Philippians chapter 3. The first option that Paul says is that you can do. You can do. 
And this is the option I think most of us are used to, and this is sort of our approach to God uh, when it comes to our spiritual resume. We look at the place that we would plant ourselves on this ladder and we would say, hey, here's all the things that I need to do to get closer to, to Jesus. Now, some of that may come from the religious system that we grew up in. Because for some of us, what we learned was that God's love for us is fully conditional. And because it's conditional, there are things that we have to do. It's the right things at the right time with the right amount of love. And if we do those things, that proves our love for God. And the more we do those things, the more we keep increasing our, our, our position towards who Jesus is. But if we go back to what Paul was talking about, that's not any different than the dogs, evildoers, and mutilators he talked about earlier. That's what they were about. They were like, hey, you got to do more stuff. Like, you know, I know you're a follower of Jesus, and I know you've been baptized, and I know you believe in Jesus, and there's this faith that's there, but you're not quite done. There's a few more things you got to do. And if you really want to feel and experience what God's love is like for you, then you've got to do these things to get to that place. And, and when you're at that place and you're, you're trying, to, trying to live this perfect, blameless, pure life, like we talked about last week, I mean, it's really, really hard. And you start carrying that burden with you. And you're like, this is a lot of to-dos I've got to, to, to done, right? I've got to get done in my life. Or maybe you're someone else that you're looking at yourself and you're down at the bottom, you're like, man, all the stuff I've done in my life, all the things I've experienced, all the words I've said, all the actions I've taken, man, I am, I am, I am pretty low. But you know what? I, I, I'm going to work hard at this. I, I'm going I'm to start doing all these things. I'm going to start going to church, reading the Bible, praying, give a little bit to church, volunteer every once in a while. Because I know if I do things, it's going to help me increase my position in the spiritual ladder. And, and someday I'll get up there and I'll be close to Jesus. But that's a really heavy burden to carry. And I'm afraid too often, if that's where we feel like we start, we're kind of done from the beginning. Like we just can't keep going. But then there's another group. And this is the group, when you look at your spiritual resume, you're like, man, I'm, I'm pretty close to Mother Teresa, and I'm, I'm almost up there with Jesus, right? And then you start to give your resume. I, you know, I grew up in the church from the day I was born. Barely missed, missed any Sundays. Went to Bible college and been on five mission trips and preached 750 sermons and been in ministry full time for 25 years. And I tucked my shirt in at Easter. I mean, I'm doing pretty good. I've done a lot of really, really good things. And you know what? God's kind of lucky to have me in the fold, right? But that's where some of us are. And again, it goes back to what we do, right? It goes back to these things, these steps, these actions that we think we've got to, to do these things to experience the love and affection and attention and forgiveness and compassion and mercy from God. And so we get stuck on this ladder trying to move up in it our whole life. And Paul's like, that's not how this works. It has nothing to do with what you do. You can have an impeccable spiritual resume, but in the end, that's not success. Paul says it's not about what you do. Paul says it's option number two. It's about what has been done. And for Paul, what has been done is Jesus. That Jesus came and taught us how to live our lives. 
And then Jesus gave his life for us. And then God raises him from the dead. And Paul said, that's what matters. It's not your personal resume and all the jobs and titles and all the money you make and all the retirement you've got coming because of the work you've done. It has nothing to do with that. Paul's like, that's Scubalon. He's like, that's poo, right? He's like, it doesn't matter. And your spiritual resume may be great. And you may have done all these things and given all this money to the church. And you may be saying, man, I've done pretty good. Paul's like, hey, guess what? That's Scubalon too. Like you are just working to do. And Paul says, Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. Like there's nothing else that you need to do. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Again, here's Paul who's saying, it's not about what I did that mattered or what I do. All of that means nothing. And you know what I'm going to do about that? Paul's like, I'm going to forget about that. I'm going to let that go. That's going to be the past for me. The most important thing to me is to understand what Jesus has done for me. And when I understand that and I hold on to that, then I can live the life that I've been called to live. Paul even equates it to a race, right? He says, I'm in this race. Well, by the way, he says, I'm still working on this, right? Do you notice he talks about that? He's like, I haven't figured this out fully which means he's still trying to think like, what are some things I can do to, to kind of build this relationship and build this connection even stronger? And I think we kind of get caught up in that too, even if our spiritual resume might look pretty good. Paul's like, I'm still working on this, but I, but I know this is a race and I'm running this race and, and I'm gonna run it pretty hard. And, and I know I'm gonna run it pretty hard because I know there's a big prize at the end. And again, it goes back to what we talked about last week, the purpose. Living uh, this purpose, finding our purpose, to live Christ, to die gain. He says, my life, the race I am running, is to live for Christ. It's not about my resume. It's not about the spiritual ladder. It's not about where I kind of put myself as I think about my spiritual life. It's not about that. It's about this race that I am running for Christ because of what Christ did for me. Knowing that if I run this race, there's... There's something much better than the prize the Kentucky Derby winner got yesterday, right? Like, it's so incredibly amazing. That's why I'm running this race. Because of what Jesus did for me. To live Christ, to die, gain. Some of you in this room, again, you have impeccable resumes and you continue to climb up the corporate ladder and Paul's like nope in the end it's not worth it it's worthless it's trash he says there's something more important than that and then others of us we we got this incredible spiritual resume and Paul's like I'm sorry thanks for doing some good stuff but in the end what you do is not really that important. Paul says it's all about what has been done for 
you. He's like, that's what true success is. True success is not about what you do. It's not about climbing the ladder. In fact, what we could probably do right now, Paul would say, is just tear this ladder down and put it away. Just throw it in the trash. Don't even worry about it because there's not some, some ladder we need to climb. It's all because of what Jesus has done for us. That that is true success, is accepting what has been done for you and for me. True success is following Jesus and then living a life where we are running that race to win the prize to come. True success is understanding. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. To live Christ to die gain. How does that play out for us? Well, for some of us, maybe it is we need to take that step of baptism. Now, some of you are like, well, hold up. You said we don't do circumcision, but we do baptism, right? Doesn't that a to-do? Well, it is a to-do, but it's a part of our spiritual journey that we take. It is our circumcision. It is the ridding of the Old Testament covenant and this New Testament covenant where we say, hey, the circumcision that's taking place in me is in my heart. But this is what God has done for me. This is what Jesus has done for me. And so we've taken that step. And so maybe you haven't been baptized. Uh, a couple things. One, there's a baptism class after the service, 1030 downstairs in the Journey Teens room. Joel is leading that. We'd love for you to jump in there. If you've got questions about baptism, why we baptize the way we do, um, just want to know more, love for you to jump into that. Or maybe you're like, hey, I want to take that step. You can take a picture of that QR code, sign up on our connection card, let us know that. Or you can take that paper card that's there and take that out to our guest tent. And we'd love to have that conversation with you because that is how we show that we have taken this huge step of understanding what's been done for us. Uh, for others of us, maybe it's slowing down. Maybe it's time for us to slow down on this resume building that we've been living our life for. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's a few less hours in the office, a few less trips. Uh, maybe it's changing the job that you have. But maybe it's just time to slow down. 